Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's Innovation Insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Hi, Mark. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you for joining us for the Dig In series. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about sustainability in brand marketing. But before I dive in, I just wanted to give a brief intro to who Mark is and who I am. So we've got Mark Barton here. He's the partner, one of the founding members of the challenger consultancy, Eat Big Fish. Uh, Myself, I am Megan, Megan Healy. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at Dig Insights um, and Upside. All right, are you ready to go, Mark? I am ready. Hello, Megan. (laughs) Hi. Um, So Mark and I have actually chatted a few times prior to this. We got a chance to talk about sustainability. Um, we do, we just did a report on sustainability in uh, consumer packaged goods space, and I reached out to Mark because I love Eat Big Fish and I love the work that they do, and I thought that Mark and his team might have an interesting perspective on sustainability in branding and sustainability in brand marketing. Um, so let's let's dive in. Um, Mark, when it comes to sustainability and brand building, how do you approach how do you approach that conversation? Well, well, actually, I don't know that we um, ever want to start with the brand conversation when we're having a conversation with our clients because, you know, sustainability is first of all a very complex term, multi-layered. So it's not just very about complex. the environment; it's about issues of equity and, and governance in a, in a big corporation, for example, and. You know, before the marketers can have an informed conversation about how to make a brand famous for its um, approaches to sustainability, you've got to really understand what's going on underneath the hood. So, you know, very often in eBig Fish engagements, we're working with cross-functional teams on projects because we're trying to articulate big ideas for the brand that require not just a bunch of marketers in a room, but require supply chain and logistics and sales and so on to, to contribute to, to that conversation about who it is, who is it that we want to be and what do we want to say to the world. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at supply chain issues and so on and trying to get really clear on what are, what's the truth here. You know, yeah. sustainability is not one of those things you really want to uh, mess with. It's too important. Um, brands that are, that don't have their story straight, who have maybe been caught telling a few teeny weeny ones or some whoppers like VW yeah. Dieselgate will get busted and you can do a lot of damage to your brand if you don't have clarity about what's true or what could be true or what we want to be true in the course of the next couple of years. So the conversations always start with the substance of what's actually going on here. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think when we initially started talking, I kind of approached you in exactly the same way I did this initial conversation of sustainability, marketing, sustainability, brand building, you know, how do you, how do you initiate those conversations? And I think it's so important. Um, it's so important to go back to basics and understand the structures of the business and, and ethical supply chain practices, all of that, all of that stuff to actually even have a reason to talk about sustainability as a brand or as a, as a marketer. 
Yeah. Um, do well, you have any? I'd say, Megan, it just just to, you know, ten years ago. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this stuff for a long, long time. I haven't done nearly enough as much as I should have, would have liked to have. But even ten years ago, these conversations—the ones that we're having now and the ones that I could talk about maybe later about some of the work we've done with clients—just weren't happening. You know, nobody. Yeah. It, it didn't feel like sustainability had tipped to use Malcolm Gladwell's point <laughs> as, a, as an issue um, yeah which is horrible to say because you know it's been fundamentally important to to uh, to us for, for years and years but we're at that point now where we can have the kind of conversations that you and I started to have and that more and more clients of ours uh, want to have and need to have so you know um, I just wanted to put that out there that you know the reason why this was such an interesting conversation for me to have repeatedly with you over the course of the last few weeks in various different ways. I'm sure you ways. wanted to have it three times, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I really did. Well, because we were trying to get it right, right, between us. I mean, yeah. just for people who are listening, we started out writing, um, you know, blog posts and articles for, for, for you guys to publish. And it took us three or four rounds to get it right, where we were comfortable saying, this is how we want to frame this. So, um, so thank you for persisting with that and, and getting me to clarity. No, thank you. It's been it's been really it's been really interesting because I think one of the initial points you just made is that sustainability. I forget the way you you specifically put it, but you know it means so many different things to so many different people. It means so many different things to you know, people who work within businesses and, and consumers uh, within, you know, their home lives. So it's always important to kind of wrestle with, you know, what does this actually mean and, and how can we make it meaningful as opposed to um, it just being, you know, kind of a fluff piece on marketing with sustainability in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So in terms of actually, so if we talk about, if we're talking about the, the if we are talking about sort of marketing sustainability um, or using sustainability as sort of marketing messages rather, mm-hmm. um, how can you talk to us about sort of a way that anyone listening could leverage any internal work that they're doing or want to do as a business um, within their marketing? Yeah, well, let me, let me, let me just give you a sense of... Um, Maybe just a really simple tool, you know, because it's hard to know how to get going with this conversation. Yeah. If you're sitting there as a, as a running a brand today and you're like, look, sustainability, um, it has to be part of the solution going forward. Otherwise, we don't have a planet to, to um, <laughs> continue to sell, support people and sell them stuff. Um, just thinking, just doing an internal audit on, on your we're working with, you know, cross-functional teams of people to say, OK, let's let's imagine three kind of buckets, if you like. So bucket number one is um, things where we are woefully behind the category on. And just have a very honest conversation about evaluating yourselves against the competition about areas where you're really weak uh, in terms of, you know, like what your factories look like, where your ingredients come from, the percentage of organic you have in there, what the makeup of your workforce looks like. And just getting really clear on where you're um, inadequate. The next bucket would be the things where we're doing really quite well, but that we might actually need to double down and do really much better. So we call that the brilliant basics bucket. These are basics in the 
category today. If we're in the food space, we need to be thinking in terms of this and this and this. And we need to be doing those as brilliantly as we can. But in and of themselves, they're not differentiating. And that's the, the name of the third bucket is compelling differences. Right. So is there anything that we're doing that give us um, an edge from a communications point of view, from a brand's point of view, a compellingly different in the marketplace? So start with that honest assessment audit of what's going on right now. And then benchmarking against competitors and so on, start to figure out, well, where are the opportunities for us to get ahead of the competition? So uh, there's a great example of this, which is, I'll, will come ready, readily to mind for many people listening to this, which is Burger King yes. and the Moldy Whopper, which all marketers know because it got 8.5 <laughs> billion views. It did pretty well. It did pretty well. It did pretty well, pretty well. And, you know, I mean, hats off to uh, Fernando Mercado, who I think he's just left Burger King, actually, but he and the team there who've repeatedly done stuff that has, quote, unquote, made the brand famous. That's a big way, that you know, piece of language that Eat Big Fish uses, borrowing heavily from Peter Field and Les Bennett's work on um, how to, you know, how challenge brands succeed, how brands win uh, in today's world but the moldy whopper so there was three or four years of work that went into cleaning up the whopper right so the marketers are reading the tea leaves clean eating as it's called um, was becoming a thing people are concerned about you know um, pesticide use and preservatives in food for unspecified health issues and so on we're not really sure exactly what impact they are although there's a book that um, just came out. I was reading about it in the in the Times this weekend about fertility rates. Have you seen this? This is this is going to become yeah. a huge issue. For, well, we're basically becoming less and less fertile as a species to the point yes. where some people are saying, if you extrapolate these trend lines by 2045, 2050, we're not going to be able to make enough babies to keep ourselves going. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that is so depressing. Yeah. But back to the Whopper. Um, so anyway, <laughs> clean eating is, I think, is connected to that. People want, they don't want to put this shit in their bodies that's kind of, you know, they know yeah. is um, uh, impacting all, all ways in which they're healthy or not. So a lot of work needed to be done, led by marketers, but, you know, um, implemented entirely by the people who, who um, look at the food side at Burger King to clean that, that Whopper up to the point where they could make a claim. Um, then, of course, you, you know, you can imagine um, if you and I were not having a good day, Megan, we might sit down and go, oh, yeah, we should put a little logo on the wrapper that says preservative free. And maybe we should, you know, put a little spiff on the corner of our ads that says now without any preservatives. We wouldn't have approached that very creatively. The yeah. genius, though, of those guys was to say, let's dramatize. Let's make all the invisible work that we've done for three years visible to the public by pointing a webcam at the Whopper and watching it go moldy over the course of 30 days. And you slowly watch that thing. Now, that breaks so many marketing rules, right? If you think about marketing food and appetite appeal. 100%. Right? You don't get to do that. <laughs> but the genius of that is everybody found that to be very compelling. Um, it landed, of course, the main message that Burger King had cleaned his act up. But it did so in a way that was just really compelling, famous marketing. And so everything in that story is a great example of the way that we all need to start thinking about approaching issues of sustainability in our businesses. Do the hard yards, 
create competitive over three or four years, create competitive advantage. McDonald's is way behind on that stuff now. Um, and then get yourself to famous for having done all that work. And, you know, a number of people have said to me, I was talking about uh, this um, at a speech I made last week. Um, yeah, but were people really buying the Whopper because they learned about the preservatives? And the answer is, right. some, some of them maybe. Most of us were just going, wow, Whopper, interesting. What are they doing? I haven't had a Whopper in a long time. Oh, there's a Whopper as I'm driving down the freeway. There's, totally. a, there's a Burger King. I'll pull over and buy one. So, you know, I, I, the stats, I think their sales of Whopper were up 14%. Their food um, credentials were up 88%. Fernando's got a great case study on it that you told at the Adweek conference recently on Challenger Brands. That it's just inspiring. And I think that's a great model for how all of us need to think about and approach the marketing of sustainability. Yeah, I, I love that example because it is so inspiring. But it's also, again, as you said, like it, it sticks in your head. And I think it's particularly inspiring given the category that it's in. I mean, obviously the fact that, you know, I think we talked about this in one of our previous conversations, like it's very difficult for any of Burger King's competitors or most of Burger King's competitors to kind of respond in kind, which I think really helps their case, right? Like it makes the sort of gravity of what they're doing um, even even more compelling. Um, yeah. Well, and okay, so... So just a minute, I just want to make one more point out. So if you're sitting listening to this, there's this is a signal story for us because you've got to ring the bell internally and yeah. say, we're not doing really honest evaluations of the work uh, in this place around sustainability. We're going to get sideswiped by a more aggressive, proactive, visionary competitor at some point soon. And, you know, um, who knows how big of an impact that kind of stuff will have long term. But do the work and be the leader, get ahead of it. Claim that thought leadership position as the most sustainable brand in whatever category you're in. Yeah, I think that's an awesome point. It's also a really nice segue. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking about another conversation that we had previously around, yes. you know, big versus small, yeah. the little guy versus the big guy. And obviously Burger King is a big guy. Yeah. Um, you know, they have the kind of force of market share behind them. What would you say to a startup or a growing brand um, who, you know, might not have the, the dollars to spend on a campaign like this? Um, not that that's always what you need, but yeah, what would your what would your recommendations be to, um, or, or any startups that you think we could look to? Yeah, uh, well, as sort of great examples. Yeah, I think that, you know, our pitch very often to um, smaller companies when we work with them. I just want to be clear that challenger mindset is nothing to do with how big you are, right? So yes. I think Burger King has a challenger mindset and it's an enormous company, as you, as you said. Um, the challenger mindset is you have ambig ambitions that are bigger than the resources you have and you're prepared to lean into the implications of, the, of that gap, meaning we've got to break conventions, really be bold, really provocative, really stand out. Um, in order to make our um, efforts go a lot, a lot further. But the benefit of being small is speed and nimble. You don't have to unravel these complicated supply chains, reformulate products that are, the recipes may have been around for 50, 60, 100 years, right? You don't mess with the recipes, it's sacred. <laughs> um, 
But you don't have a lot of those issues when you're a challenge brand because you're, sure. you're a small brand because you're starting off. I mean, so it's much easier for you. And I think just very often it's really it's really easy when you're working at a small company to feel a little bit thwarted and adopt that kind of victim mindset before you begin, right? Oh, how can we possibly compete with? They have all the market muscle, all the brand recognition, all the R&D budgets. Yeah, but they can't move very fast and you can. And you can do things that are radically different in the category that they can't. So interpret your weaknesses as advantages and really lean into them and go and be the first one to get there with that story and put yourself on the map before the big fish has figured out how to respond to you. You know, so I, for us, I mean, as neutrals on the sidelines saying anybody can have the challenger mindset here. It's a win-win world for me because I love it when Burger King moves because they're a huge machine and they can have massive impact on the marketplace. And you know that every other fast food company on earth is now scrambling to figure out how to clean up their act because of moves being made totally. by Burger King and arguably by Chipotle first, right? And I'm sure people listening to this will think of a dozen other examples that are better than that of people who've already done the thought leadership and got there first. but and, and that, that are forcing these big fish to react. It's great that they're reacting though, because they can move markets when they re-engineer their supply chains. But it's great to have feisty upstarts, underdogs underneath doing impossible things that the category never thought they would see and going, oh shit, now we've got to get our act together and respond <laughs> to that. Or we lose share by a thousand cuts as well as by the big fish getting their act together. So there's a lot of energy and dynamism in sustainability today and, and um, that's one of the things that makes me optimistic that we might actually be able to do something in time. Who else makes you optimistic? Are there any other brands that, um, I don't know, the team at Big Fish or, or yourself, you kind of look to in this space as leading the charge around sustainability? Yeah, um, Oatly, we, we love, you know, there's, it's a sustainability story baked into the product truth itself Definitely. oats you know is a lo lower carbon footprint than cows um and it seems a lot more natural when you think about it to drink uh, oat milk than the milk that baby cows drink <laughs> it suddenly gets quite icky and i think you know yeah um, it gets weird <laughs> yeah and john schoolcraft who's, who's the creative director um at Oatly, who i've had the pleasure of meeting and then watching him present their story is phenomenal just in terms oh, it's, of, I've seen yeah. I've seen that story um, and the way that they structure their marketing team, well, or their creative team, as they call it. Yeah, um, it's it's amazing. Yeah, Sorry, just huge, huge fangirl of Oli over here. Yeah, me too. Me too. Fanboy. And, and we need to circle back, actually, and talk about them at the end, because I think. Yeah, there's a point. Of, but the other brand I want to give a bit of a shout out to is Van Moof, uh, the Dutch electric mm. bike company, because you know, I mean, I, I live in San Francisco. Uh, we've been building, <laughs> causing chaos in the city streets of San Francisco by building bike lanes left, right and center, which I'm all in favor of. But I don't do a lot of cycling commuting because there's a lot of hills here. And it's, not, you know, it's not cool to show a sweaty at a meeting. I love how quiet your voice got when you um, <laughs> when you made that admission. Yes, but Van Move, these bikes are incredible. So there's something about, you know, if and again, speaking in cliche, tired, tired old generalities about what sustainability used to be like 20 odd years ago, you know, it was Birkenstocks and granola and hair shirts and suffering. 
and you look at Van Moof and it's sleek and sophisticated. This thing accelerates like a horse. Probably faster than a horse, actually, but terrible than that. It accelerates really <laughs> fast, um, you know, so you can be beating all the cars that are stuck in traffic. And they've just presented a really killer product that they've created, you know, that I lust for. But they've also presented it inside a frame of reference that is really visionary. So they're very clear about the monster, something that we talk a lot about mm. at EBFish. When we talk about how do you how do you create fame how do you generate energy around your brand and it's very often about having clarity about who the monster is so van moof is taking on the automobile one of their commercials is this beautiful luxury sports car is melted down like a sort of molten metal and it transformed into a van moof bicycle and it's just really cool cool to watch but they've also spoken about the transformation of cities if we get rid of all the cars and we have people commuting on these bikes and they're talking about in classic challenger fashion massive ambitions way beyond their station frankly of how do we get the next billion people onto bicycles so i'm inspired by the vision i'm inspired by the product the marketing is sublime and it's nothing like the cliched old granola days you know this is modern it's hip it's cool it's contemporary and it makes it makes non-sustainable stories feel so out of touch with reality and i think that's the kind of energy that this new generation of challenger brands in the world of sustainability is bringing it's just of course this is what the future looks like of course we need to get to this place are you insane if we don't dot 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 and and if, i'm buying in and i think a lot of um you know it's 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 beyond trends but you have a generation coming at my daughters for example teenagers coming out behind me that this is a given now if you don't have Absolutely. that story we will not put you on our shopping list yeah and um you kind of mentioned we have a couple pieces coming out actually they're uh, they're both live now um about sustainability one is more focused on you know the challenger mentality and how you can bring that to the issue of sustainability and one was more a chat like this but i think it was really important for us um and sorry for for your team and and for us to make sure that this didn't come across as a trend because sustainability isn't a trend um it's something that is table stakes like you need to start thinking about it um so i think that's that's a really important point in terms mm. of in terms of um you know commenting on sustainability or having a brand story on sustainability i'm curious what you think of does every brand need like are there certain things that could just exist sort of within the quote-unquote four walls of a brand um do they yeah. always need to be talking about sustainability to the wider to the wider world do you have a, a view on that yeah uh, um yes we do and i think it's always i mean every case that we're involved in and you have to start treated on its own merits. So um, I think the best way to think about this is in terms of what's foreground and what's background. So modern day mm. brands, because there are all kinds of different communication channels and different ways of discovering things about your brand. Um, some people will double click and double click and double click into the background story. It might be a small percentage, but that small percentage can be really vocal, right? And um, even brands like Everlane and Reformation, which have kind of icons in a way of sustainability, of their stories have 
not exactly fallen apart, but been found out to be not bulletproof. Yeah. Um, and so the dangers of leading with it is do you make yourself a target? Now, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that so long as you go in with eyes wide open and design your brand from top to bottom to be the real deal, to be built on truth. But my point is, you know, if, if you're a beer, there may be other things that you need to lead with and say to the consumer that are the foreground, the sharp end of the spear, that get people interested in your brand. Just your commentary on popular culture or your, your commentary on sports or the dating game or whatever it is that, you know, young people are also very, very interested in. And that's how you can make your brand famous. Um, it's, and the sustainability story may be in the deep background for anybody who chooses to find out. So I think, you know, every case needs to be treated on its merits, which is what is it that we need to say to get people motivated to buy our brand? And can it be about sustainability? Because we've got a, if we've got a compellingly different story there, let's lead with it. If we don't have a compellingly different story, we need to work on one, but in the background and get our act together and be squeaky clean because it's coming, whether you like it or not, um, but not make it the lead story. So I just think it's that sort of um, conversation about modern day brands are multifaceted. What's the facet that you lead with the, to the consumer? But recognizing that you're going to have to do the work in the background yeah. on your sustainability story because it will catch up to you. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. All right, I'm going to switch gears slightly. Hmm. Um, we've talked a little bit about challenger brands. You've talked about how it, you know size is is not a, a doesn't come into the definition of a challenger brand. Um, but I'd like to talk a little bit about sustainability as a challenger brand. Yeah. And before we dive into that, do you mind just giving everyone listening a little bit of a recap on this idea of being a challenger brand and and what that means in today's world? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a mindset, right? That's the way we talk about it with our clients. We work on companies, all different categories, all different shapes and sizes, all different um, histories, been around, you know, 109 years in the case of uh, uh, the Tillamook County Creamery in Pacific Northwest <laughs> to brand new startups down here in Silicon Valley. The mindset is that you have as a group of people an ambition that is much, much bigger than people would expect you to have given the resources you have available. And that you are willing to do whatever it takes to close the gap between those two things. So that means um, identifying the conventions of the category and saying we're going to blow some of those things up. You know, food industries never talks about moldy food because that's not appetite appeal. BS, let's do that. Because in breaking <laughs> the convention, you signal Oh, they're up to something. So it's breaking conventions, being provocative, bringing new criteria of choice to the category, right? So electrified bicycles that accelerate really fast away from red lights is a new way of thinking about the bicycle. Um, you know, and there's, I think there's a great line that, um, that Van Moof uses, you know, thought the, the bicycle had evolved completely, think again. So, you know, new criteria of choice being brought into the category. I didn't know that I could pour, that milk could be made out of oats. That's a new criteria of choice into the category of milks and, you know, almond and all, all the rest. So, so I think that's the, um, the mindset is, is just wanting to change the way the category operates in order that you can create competitive advantage, in order that you can create energy around your brand, meaning 
that's the one to watch. That's the one mm. with all the new ideas. That's what gives you know these uh, upstart challenger bands a lot more currency than in popular culture currency than they have the right to claim given their market share. They just appear to be much much bigger in our minds than they actually are, and that's because they've captured our thought leadership. You know, they've captured our hearts and minds to some extent. Oh, it's the most exciting as a marketer. Um, I just love talking about about challenger brands, and I think it's so apt to be talking about you know this kind of bravery in the market and saying the thing and doing the thing that people aren't doing to it's so apt to be having that conversation around challenger brands mm. when we're talking about sustainability um can i say something about that too megan because i you know I, yeah. made this, I made this speech last week very similar content to what we're talking about here today and i felt a little guilty about it afterwards because it's really easy to stand up on a stage and show a bunch of really great examples of what other people are doing and get everybody energized and then walk away and walk away with an honest conversation about what it takes. So the question I ask myself is, would I have approved the Moldy Whopper? Yeah. And the answer and? is, I, well, I honestly don't know. We'll never know. I mean, of course, I'll tell you, of course I would. No, I may not have done. <laughs> and the answer yeah. is, it's really hard to know when you see something like that, that it's going to really work. So I think there's a couple of things to say about that is one is whenever you see a brilliant example of challenger brand thinking, whether it's Van Moof or Oatly or, you know, even some of the stuff that goes on at big companies like Burger King, it requires really courageous people who are prepared to take yeah. a risk. Now, big companies don't like risks. Um, if you're a CMO listening to this, you've got to create the conditions for success in your organization. We want you to take risks, which means Fernando will tell you they probably fail half the time they take these bold initiatives, but they're just doing it often enough. They're thinking about it like, you know, the client Charles Schwab that, um, that after they decided to re-embrace their challenger mindset, historically a challenger needed to get it back. They set up a venture marketing fund where they said anybody can spend 100 grand on anything. We need a dozen bets on any given month of little things that we're trying, knowing wow. most of them will fail, but that some of them will catch fire and then we pour millions of dollars of gasoline on it. And yeah. so that requires an appetite for risk. Um, people who are prepared to be brave and people who know that senior leadership has their back, that they're not going to get fired, essentially, for failing to. I mean, obviously, you don't want to make a habit of this, and it's a fine line to, <laughs> to get it right. But yeah. let's, let's not be um, glib about what it takes to say yes to brave ideas. And you and I both know, because we've been in this business long enough to know, that the easiest route is to say no to a brave idea. And I would say, even in our work, Nine times out of 10, the really brave stuff gets said no to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a good point because that's, as someone who makes decisions about, you know, the types of campaigns that we're going to run, obviously I work in a B2B context, so it is slightly different. Um, but at the same time, it's also to your point, to the point about being courageous, I think it, it's a good one. But then the other thing that comes to mind is it's so easy to be comfortable and yeah. what you've done before. And I think that that's always something that me and my team are trying to work away from 
to a certain extent. So it's great to know what works and what doesn't work, but how can we push that further? You know, yeah. um, whether that's the format, whether that's um, the messaging or the positioning. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast, right? We want to give it a go. We want to try and, and see what we can do. Um, we've got so many smart people that, you know, we work with as, as an agency at DIG, um, so many smart clients, so many smart people like yourself who I'm getting to chat to. So why don't we try out something new? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, when I, Adam and I res, uh, were doing research for uh, a book called a beautiful constraint, I met Dr. Keneal Joyce, mm. uh, who told me about the anti-originality bias. And she said, human beings are almost wired to not like originality because originality looks weird, right? It looks different. Right. And we're hardwired to spot difference a mile away and either fight it or flight or flight from it. Um, and she said, you know, you have to recognize and, and tee up in your organization. Your first reaction may not be the right reaction. So if your first reaction is eh, that's different, I don't want to buy that concept sit down, reflect on what's the business situation that we're in. Oh, we're outspent 100 yeah. to 1 by the Goliath in the category. We really need to do something quite different. When you look at it again, does it make strategic sense? Is there some rationale for why we would show that moldy whopper or show that car melting? Um, yes or no? <laughs> and the answer is probably still going to be, you have to fight your instinct to say, because you're comfort, you want to stay in the comfort zone, to your point. That's another way of articulating the anti-originality bias. And so, you know, take a take another look, think a little bit harder, trust mm. that somebody's going to, I mean, the, the acid test is, okay, so you're not going to buy it. Great. If your competitor runs it next week, how are you going to feel? Oh, horrified. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So I'd be horrified. Great. So let's just, you know, step over the line you know it's kind of like um we talk a lot about towing the line and you know when you go to tow that you got to push right up to the line yeah. challenger brands you have to on occasion not all the time um strategically step over the line into that unknown space and do something from that place which is going to look different you're probably going to have to battle a dozen people on the way to getting <laughs> to yes but that's your responsibility as a challenger brand marketer, I think is to not do do as few things as possible. That well, let's 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 stop the mealy mouth. Do nothing <laughs> that looks conventional. Do nothing that you think yeah. isn't going to lead to fame. Do nothing that you think some people are going to dislike, or you're going to get criticism, or you're going to get flack for. In fact, one of the things I suggested. Uh, again, from the stage last week was make critical feedback, bad feedback, a metric. Because if you're not getting that, if you're not getting anybody complaining, mm. it's, it's a key indicator that you're not pushing it hard enough. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've kind of teed me up there for a few other, a few other um, tips that you have for people when it comes to approaching sustainability as a business, um, as a within the context of, of being a challenger brand. Yeah, well, so really simple exercise that every, anybody can do here is, you know, we talked about breaking conventions. So it's remarkable to me how categories very quickly create a design language, a visual mm. language, 
of vocabulary, right? So the, the, the easiest example of this is think about a hotel room. Is there any difference between a Marriott and a Hilton? No, no. it's not. And we call this- Well, city. other than um, Citizen Me. I love a good Citizen Me. Yeah, there are some examples of hotels that look very, very different than others. But, you know, all categories have a design language that is conventional wisdom. That's just how you market this. That's just how you design that. So do an audit of your category, pull out ads, pull out photos of your, your competitors' products, create a collage of this is what the category looks like. And then as you're evaluating product ideas or service ideas or, or creative concepts, can you see it on that collage? Because if you can, you should probably start over. So it's a really, and make mm -hmm. that, you know, put that in the middle of your workspace together and put a great big sign over the top of it that says, do not do this. Because the science, the marketing science will tell you that if you look anything like your competitor and the competitor's bigger than you, the competitor's gonna get all the credit for all the ads that you're putting out. Totally. Right? Yeah, I mean, this is what, um, I, I used to have this conversation with, with my mother. I think it came from my mother, which is the um, the Duracell bunny. It's the Energizer bunny, mum. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even realize. I was no. Like, yeah, the Duracell bunny, of course. Right, all categories have a <laughs> black hole called the brand yeah. leader. And if your work looks anything like that, they get all the credit for it. So you're wasting money. You're literally pissing dollars down the sink if so you do true. anything. So you know, that's that's a simple um, exercise to do. I think the other thing that we talked about, which I'm really keen on, because so much of sustainability stories are kind of backstory, is how do we make mm. the invisible visible? And how do we dramatize mm. that? So there's a great uh, film on, on YouTube. You, you, um, so Levi's was getting a lot of grief for mm. how much energy they were using to take brand new product, brand new jeans, and age them rapidly in a washing machine right. with lots of rocks. So it's a complete nightmare environmentally. Yeah. Um, and they're getting a lot of heat for that, and rightly so. Um, so they created um, a new way of aging jeans using lasers. And it's really amazing to watch how these lasers work. And so they released some video of them aging jeans on YouTube. And, and you know, you can emboss and imprint names and logos and stuff on it. So it became quite an interesting thing. Four million views on YouTube. Not the primary story that um, Levi's is ever going to use to market its stuff, but a really yeah. interesting way of making all that work they've done in production capability visible to the public and saying, we've done this for all the right reasons. And by the way, it's really cool. So making yeah. them more visible. I think that um, that really aligns nicely with, so we just did a, what sort of spurred this conversation with Mark initially was that we did a piece of research on um, sustainability and there's a huge desire from the from the data that we've seen, there's a huge desire for consumers to understand the invisible parts and to understand like, what do you mean when you say supply chain? Like, what does that mean? Like, I know, you know, I know I get my, my food or my clothing, but like what happens in the middle? So doing something like that, um, the example you've just used with Levi's, I think is so smart because it is something that people are genuinely interested in. So yeah. being able to have that, you know, have that conversation with your customers is is really powerful. Yeah, I mean, um, I, forget, I forget who it was that said this. Some one of the, you know, there's no such thing as 
boring brands, just boring marketing. There's no such mm. thing as boring supply chain stories, just boring stories about that. So not everything is going to lend itself. Of course. To being shot beautifully and, and posted on YouTube. But just, I think, and I think this is the, this is the interesting thing for me, what, you know, the right kind of marketer and or creative teams that, that we talk to get enthusiastic about using creativity in new ways. So if you've got some people that are, you know, capable of and have been briefed to go and find the original stories and don't be don't bring the anti originality bias into the way you evaluate, mm. go into the supply chain, go into the factories, go into talk to the chemists to the whoever makes your product and see newly through fresh eyes things that they just take for granted. Well, of course, the robot sprays the car in seven seconds. That's how it was designed to spray the car. That's an <laughs> so amazing true. stat, dude. Can I did, we make yeah. an ad about that? But you need to have a creative orientation to all of the different aspects of how you manufacture your product to, see, to be able to spot that. So creative people who typically get brought in at the end of the process, go make some funny stuff about this, have them get <laughs> much more upstream into the conversations and go, why do you do it like that? That's really cool. Has anybody ever, I mean, you know, I worked, got amazing opportunity to work with Callaway uh, on mm. golf. And they have this thing they call the ballistic center, right? Where you go down and you see robots whacking golf balls. At an, and it's, it's just incredible to watch, particularly for a golfer, right? And we're yeah. like, why don't you just put the ballistic center up on the, on the, no, um, like, no. Well, to be to be fair to them, they're a very very cool marketer, and they've done a lot of that kind of stuff since then. But you know, it's just bringing that lens to it and saying, you know, how interesting this is. And yeah, like, no, so we do true. it every day. Yeah, and I think also when you're in the same category or industry for a long time, even the industry, like anything that's happening within your within your brand or within your competitors' brands, um, it almost starts to get like a, a filter on it like yeah. nothing nothing becomes exciting and the creativity isn't there so bringing someone in with fresh eyes or even taking someone from a different part of the organization in and looking at something with fresh eyes is um it's a great shout it's a really good idea yeah, well we 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 um have this term intelligent naivety mm. and, and and if you, the history of challenger brands is actually arguably the history of someone bringing intelligent naivety into a category. So if you think about Eric Ryan's approach to building method back in the day, intelligent right. naivety says, wait a second. So you've got all this industrial cleaning product in great big plastic jugs, but then you've got people walking into Bed Bath & Beyond and spending 20 bucks on this beautiful soap dispenser. Why don't you just package the stuff in beautiful soap yeah. dispensers to begin with? <laughs> And then, they don't, and then they'll bring it out and put it on top of the, um, in the kitchen, so put it on display, essentially. That's intelligent naivety at work. And lots of categories get upended by new people coming in from the outside and saying, well, why did you do it that way? What if we did it this way? And you can actually design a program, we do it all the time with our clients, um, where we ask them to bring intelligent naivety into the category. And one of the simplest mm. tools is simply to say, go outside your category first, zero in on the consumer that you're trying to reach, you know who your consumer is, ask yourself, what else are they really fascinated by right now? 
oh, they're really fascinated right now by um, Dancing with the Stars. Interesting. What else? They're really interested right now by a Tesla. That's the car they want. Okay, what else? What are those brands doing to make people really interested in them? And how might we just steal with pride those insights and ideas and mm -hmm. overlay them onto our own category and see what happens? And, you know, 90% of what you create will be garbage. 10% will be gold and will be transformational for your brand. Love that. All right. I'm very sad to say we are coming to an end, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave Oatly out of the equation. We said we'd mm. come back to Oatly. Oh, <laughs> was there anything, yeah. was there anything we covered most of it, haven't we? I mean, I, you know, I, I think, think the thing so. about you, you made the reference to the fact that they're the creative department, right? So what yeah. is it that we call ourselves? We don't call ourselves brand. We don't call ourselves sustainable. We call ourselves the creative department. And they bring creativity to every single piece of label copy. Even, I mean, the, the example that um, one of my colleagues in the office shared with me was um, when Oatly launched their sustainability report recently. Mm. And on the front cover, it said something. In, it said TLDR could do better or, you know, something, something along those lines. I'm sure I'm misquoting it slightly, but there is, because this is a brand that's set itself up to have a kind of postmodern relationship with its customers. It's very knowing it plays the game. You know, we're advertising to you and I know that you know that we're advertising it's playing a sort of meta game. It's brilliant. Yeah. And just the honesty to be able to stand up and say, look, we didn't get it right enough last year. We have to do better is a way of building trust. And I think, you know, this may be the way, the, the, a good way to, to close this, which is ultimately, I mean, brand building has always been about and will always been about, be about trust. And mm -hmm. on some level, that trusting relationship between consumers and brands and businesses is broken at the moment mm. for all sorts of good reasons, really bad behavior by brands and also did you not see this coming? Shouldn't we better be better prepared for the future? The trust is broken. And so we need to build that back by doing the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing is admitting that you did the wrong thing last year and you'll work better to make it right. And that's what Oatly did, I think, on their sustainability report. And it just engenders belief in them. Yeah, that is a really nice way of, of closing off. Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, tell people where they can find you or any of Eat Big Fish's work. Uh, well, eatbigfish.com is the place to go. Um, we also have a website called The Challenger Project, which is our ongoing study of challenger brands and how they punch above their weight. And it's always got new, fresh content on there. Um, so you sign up for our newsletter and you'll get a little monthly thing in your inbox that will make it super easy to uh, to follow along with us and i'm mark at eatbigfish.com if anybody's got any words of wisdom for me i'd love to hear them awesome thanks so much and we'll see you guys soon thank you thanks megan bye thanks for joining us for this week's episode of dig in if you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.